All right. We are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Continue our journey through Mark's Gospel together. Let's pray together. Father, align my heart and my mind with Yours. May Your Spirit take the Word of God, give us understanding and make it alive within us, that we will understand You more fully and completely, and that we will understand that which You have called us to be and to do in our homes more completely, more fully. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came, and they're always such a joy to have in the worship service, aren't they? Don't just, you just enjoy it when the Pharisees show up? The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? You fear of all the things they might have been interested in, having the very Son of God right in front of them, uh, their Messiah, they ask him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then it tells us why they asked testing him. And he answered, and he said to them, interesting thing, when someone asks Jesus a question, most often he replies with a question. You will find I follow that same pattern. Usually when you ask me a question, I'll respond with a question. I fear if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, now they were scholars of the law. They knew the law. They knew what Moses had told them. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. In fact, in that day and time, the only thing a man, a husband had to do is write out a little certificate of divorce and give it to two witnesses and he was divorced for whatever reason he wanted to be divorced. All he had to do was just write out the little paper, give it to two people that witnessed it, and that was it. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, you wrote, uh, uh, He wrote you this precept. But notice verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation. Now, who among them in that group had been there at the beginning of creation? Only Jesus. All creation came about by His spoken word. So He ought to know, right? But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another 
commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Well, isn't that a very interesting passage of Scripture? It's the Word of God. Now, I want to tell you what I'm going to be doing for the next two or three weeks. And that is, I'm going to take this passage of Scripture, we're going to teach this passage of Scripture, but we're going to look into the Word of God and come to understand all we can come to understand this side of glory concerning the issue of marriage and divorce. So you want to make sure that you're here for every service. In fact, when I leave off on Sunday morning, I'm going to pick it up on Sunday night. So Sunday morning and Sunday nights, this is the subject we're going to be dealing with uh, for the next few weeks. Y'all pray for me for tonight. Tonight I'm going to be preaching on uh, the woman every man dreams about. And so if I am still your pastor next week, uh, we will continue the series from there. Now, while we are there, I also want you to know I have uh, more than anything else, I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give instruction to uh, the people that God has entrusted into my care for this season of life. You find folks that are here. But I also have another reason for what I'm doing. That is, next Sunday afternoon, my youngest son is getting married. And so I'll be leading that uh, wedding ceremony next Sunday afternoon. And then... A few months from now, I'm going to be doing a wedding ceremony for this lovely couple. I don't know if you can see them, but boy, those are two beautiful young people. Uh, they are gorgeous. I'll be doing the, the wedding ceremony for this couple from my last church, Dakota and Ellie. Uh, I had the wonderful privilege of leading them to the Lord and all those kind of wonderful things. And they're, uh, uh, they've been seeking out God's will. They've been engaged now for a good, good while uh, and are going to be getting married uh, this coming spring. And uh, since they're in North Carolina and I'm here, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of their premarital counseling that I usually require from the couples that I, I do weddings for. And so, Dakota and Ellie, good morning. I'm going to be getting with them and letting them know that they need to be watching uh, the videos here, and then I'll be calling them and asking them questions as we go along. So... Uh, Guys, I love you. I look forward to, to, to being with you before too long. In fact, just yesterday I got a text, and they've been hearing from some other people uh, from other places that let me know they're going to be worshiping with us here soon, and I look forward to that. And all of them are listening online this morning. So for all you folks that could not be with us today, whether you're here in this area or from other areas, we're honored that you're listening in to the service and trust that God will continue to use His Word and your lives as well. So we just thank you. All right, before we talk about the issue of divorce, I want us to make sure that we understand God's plan, God's purpose, and God's design for marriage. It really doesn't matter what the laws of man say. The thing that, that matters the most is what does God say. He's the one who designed marriage from the beginning. Uh, to fulfill His purposes and plans, so we need to make sure we understand what He has to say about it. Uh, and I want you to understand, when God says something, that settles the issue. There is no other debate, there is no other discussion. When God speaks, that's truth, and that's it. Now, we're going to be walking through a lot of Scripture together. So, uh, 
Uh, I might not be bringing necessarily a sermon per se, uh, but we're going to let God speak to us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 is where we're going to begin. Genesis 1, 27. So God created who? Man. In His own image. Now what does it mean, the imagio Deo, the image of God, what does it mean that man was created in the image of God? Many have speculated this is the answer. Okay. Uh, the answer is this. God is spirit. Man was the only thing that God created that also had a spirit. Therefore, man was the only part of God's creation that could commune and fellowship with God. Now, all the animals... They have emotions, they have a body. I think they even have a soul, so to speak. Okay? If you don't believe an animal has emotions, you say, if you think made in the image of God is intellect and emotion. My dog has intellect. And if you think, well, we can make choices. My dog makes choices. Now, I have a smart dog. I have a little Sheltie. Well, Shelties are herding animals, and they have herding instincts, and and my dog's pretty smart. My dog can do some neat things. Courtney's talking about dogs and things, and the dog does great things. My dog has emotions. When Courtney leaves, he grieves. There are times when he's happy. There's times when he's sad. There's times when he is excited. There are times when he's lonely and wants attention. My dog has emotions. My dog has intellect. My dog makes choices. I call my dog. My dog decides whether it wants to come or whether it doesn't want to come. Uh, my dog makes choices. When I'm sitting there like this morning eating my sausage biscuit, and uh, he knows from time to time, Rob and I, when we're eating our sausage biscuit, we'll drop him a little piece of sausage. He stays right there on my feet looking at me. Okay, Dad, give me, 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 give me. And I tell him, go away, go away. And my dog makes a choice. I'm not listening. I'm not doing it. I'm staying right here to get what I want. So my dog can do all those things. What's the difference between me and my dog? Robin's listening. She's saying, yeah, I'd like to know the answer to that one too. <laughs> and that is, what's the difference? <laughs> the dog behaves better. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> what's the difference? One day my dog's going to die. And when my dog dies, as much as I love that dog... That's the end of that dog. Why? Because that dog doesn't have a spirit. It's our spirit that leaves our body and goes to be with the Lord. My dog, while it knows me and knows my, my wife and my daughter and, and maybe a few other people in the family, doesn't know God. Because it doesn't have the concept of being able to understand the concept of God. Because the dog doesn't have a spirit. Well, man does. We are created in the image of God. In the image of God, He created Him. Then notice, male and female, He created them. Question, did God create any other people? He didn't. He created them, and how did He create them? Male and female. Well, how many genders are there? Two. Right? You search the whole Word of God and you only find two. Now, God is all-wise. God is omnipotent. 
God is perfect. Does God make mistakes? No. So when He puts a spirit inside the body, He creates that spirit also to correspond to the body He puts it in. With gender. Do you think God makes mistakes when He put I put the wrong spirit inside that one. I put a little girl spirit in a boy's body. Is that possible? Well, God puts us with a spirit with certain inclinations to long for a companion. Does He put a spirit in a body that longs for a companion just like that person? In other words, a spirit that desires another man, another, a woman for another woman. No, He doesn't. No, He doesn't. Those are mental health issues. Mental health issues. They're not issues of desire, emotion, or feeling. It's a very interesting thing to me. I'm not, I, one of these days, I'll, I'll hopefully get to a sermon on dealing with these issues, so I don't want to deal with it at length, but just to kind of make a statement, and that is this. It's interesting to me. We make certain decisions about sexuality and even build them into our laws. For instance, if a person wants to enter into sexual relationships with an animal, uh, when that happens, we say, no, that's against the law. And if you have someone that has sex with an animal, the SPCA and every animal rights group in the world is going to go out there and picket and protest and do whatever. They, they wouldn't allow that, would it? Because that, that's, that's abuse. And if a person, we say, has sexual desires for an animal, we say they need to go to the doctor. Not to be changed into an animal, but to fix their head. Because their thinking is not right. If a person has an eating disorder. Let's say a person uh, wants, has anorexia or bulimia, and they're starving themselves to death. Do we stand back and say, well, that's their decision. They're doing what they feel like doing. That's their right. If we have someone that suffers from anorexia or bulimia, what do we do? We take them to the doctor because we say something is mentally wrong with them. Because that is not appropriate or right behavior. It's a mental health issue. If a person wants to enter into, uh, has the desire and feelings and has this compulsion to have sexual relations with a child, what do we do? We say, nay, nay. You're not doing that. That's wrong. That will take you to jail. And we'll say, you need to get treatment. Why? Because that is a mental health issue. You say, well, do we as a society say that there are sexual issues, sexual compulsions, that are issues of mental health? Yes, we do. And we set guidelines and boundaries around those things. I want you to understand the same is true for homosexuality. The same is still true about transgenderism. That is a mental health issue and that is a sin issue because God said so.
He's the one who is holy, the only one who is, and he's the one who's given us his laws. He says that is a sin issue. It's an issue of your behavior, that which you do, that which you choose. He holds people accountable for that. He even gives a list of things that says these people will not enter into heaven. In fact, he says they are going to go to hell. You only go to hell not just because you're mentally off, but because you have chosen to do wrong. And the Word says that is wrong. Have y'all ever watched that show on TV? I just caught one episode of it this week. It's the first time I saw it. My Strange Addiction. It's on one of those Discovery Channel, My Strange Addiction. It had a lady on there has this strange compulsion to eat furniture. Seriously. She, she devours her sofa. She opens up the, 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 you know, the outside of it and then eats the cushion inside of it. And she has the... She's, she's eating sofas, she's eating recliners. That is her compulsion. We say, she feels like doing it. It's what she wants to do. It makes her happy. She has this drive. We say, she's crazy. <laughs> she is mentally off. She's, you know, I mean, they have people on there that eat chalk. There's people that, that, that have, eat all these kind of things. Do we say, well, that's just their choice. Their body, their right, you know, it's whatever they want to do. I mean, we say, no, get them help. Get them help. We're all in agreement on that, right? Yeah, where did we change when we say it's right for a man to enter into sexual relationship with another? I can't even begin to imagine that. Or a woman for a woman. Or somebody is this, but, you know, they're born by a lot. I don't care what you do. I don't care what kind of surgery you have or whatever. You are not going to change the fact that inside of you and in your head, you're either a man or you're a woman as you were born. That's it. If you think something else, that's called gender dysphoria. That is a mental health issue. You're not thinking or feeling correctly. But what do we do? We celebrate it. No. That's sin. That's wrong. And we would like to, as a church, help you find the help that you need to overcome those kind of issues. Now, please hear me. Let me make sure this is very clear. Do we hate those that are homosexuals? Do we hate those that are gender confused? No. We love them and have compassion on them. We love them enough to tell them the truth. We love them enough to tell them the truth and then love them enough to point them in the direction they need to go for them to be transformed and changed by the grace of God, the power of the cross, maybe even some good counseling from the Word of God along the way. We love them, we care about them. Do we wish them any harm? Absolutely not. And I will stand in opposition to anyone who tries. Okay? Anyone who tries, you're going to have to go through me. Okay? We don't wish anybody any harm. We don't hate. We're not phobic. How in the world do we buy into such a thing as there's homophobic? 
we let, we, we're letting the world define the issues and define the terms. A phobia is an irrational fear. I have no irrational fear of homosexuals. I'm just morally opposed to it because the Word of God says it's sin. I am not irrational about it. I follow the Word of God. I don't have a fear of it. I just say it's wrong. Because God says it's wrong. Don't let the world define the issues or define the terms. And they do it all the time. They do it all the time. Don't let them do that. You hold fast to what the Word of God says. All right. Well, that's that tirade. Now let's move on. I don't know if YouTube's going to post this one or not. All right. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. He gave him a responsibility and a job to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now, who did he say this to? The man. Because he's the only one that's around. And the, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God created man to live eternally in his presence. He says, Don't do this. The day you do this, that's the day death comes. You'll die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Boy, am I thankful for that. It is not good that the man should be alone. But I will make him, what? A helper. Comparable to him. Designed for him. A helper designed for him. This is to be his companion. This is to be his mate. This is to be the one, what is it? I think the first time I remember seeing the phrase, I'm sure it wasn't the first time it was ever written, but the first time I remember hearing it was in Jerry Maguire, the movie. The one who completes me. Okay? She completes me. All right. Now, notice, he says, he created that which would be a helper unto the man because he needed the helper in order to fulfill God's plan and purpose for the man. Out of the ground, now notice verse 19. Now he does this with the man, creates the man, gives the man a job, notices it's not good that he's alone. Well, he didn't notice, he knew. He's just telling us it is not good the man's alone. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed, now notice, now out of the ground, he forms every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. You say, wait a minute. I don't get this. God creates the man in his own image out of the dust of the ground, gives him a wonderful place to live, gives him a job to tend and to care for the garden, Hey, it is not a good thing the man's alone. And the very next thing after God says it's not good that the man's alone, he brings all the animals. Say, Adam, come out here. And, and, and he brings all the animals by Adam. You looking for a helper here? 
brings all that. And Adam names all the animals. And whatever he called the animal, that was his name. Why'd God do that? Number one. In Scripture, when someone names something, when someone gives something a name, that is stating they have authority over it. To give a name says, I, get, I have authority over this. So, he told man to tend the garden. Another passage says, have dominion over all I've created, have authority all I've created. To demonstrate that authority, he brings them all by, and Adam names them, demonstrating the man has authority over all the other creatures God created. Please understand that. Man has authority over the animals. The animals exist to serve people. We don't exist to serve them. So for all those animal rights wackos out there that, you know, that will do whatever for the animals, hey, we love the animals, we take care of the animals, we tend them, you know, they're God's creation. We don't live for them, they live for us. Primarily, they're a great source of food. All right, I invite you to join me for a hamburger later. All right. So, he, he names them, but there's also a second reason, the one to demonstrate authority. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. God's teaching Adam a lesson. All the animals come by, and as they come by, Adam's noticing every, every animal that comes by has a comparable, compatible other animal. There's a male, and there is a female. Hmm. And so as Adam is having all these animals goes by, and there's a male, and there's a female, there's a male, there's a female, there's a male, there's a female, they're companions, they're mates, and then Adam learns the lesson, there's nothing here like me. There's nothing in creation for me. Something seems to be missing. And there was. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Now, why did He cause a deep sleep to fall on Adam? Anybody ever had surgery? Ah, you want to be asleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another reason that he's asleep is this is totally the act of God. It's not Adam. Adam's asleep. God's taking the initiative. God's doing the work. The Lord God. Now notice that phrase, the Lord God. Lord God. Lord God. That's how it's most often used in these opening chapters of Genesis. That when you go to chapter 4, you'll see Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Many times it emphasizes Lord, He's sovereign in control. God, Yahweh, His name. Okay? He's the Lord God. There's a reason I emphasize that. We'll get to that hopefully in a little bit. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. Some just do that for my preaching. So I don't know if God did it, but he just slept. Now notice, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a... Woman. Woman. Man. Interesting thing. God took the dust of the ground and made the man. 
But he made him in his own image and own likeness, blew into his nostrils the breath of life, which spirit. He made the animals from what? All the animals were made from the dirt, from the ground. Seems like to me, if next thing you're going to make, you're going to make a woman, what would you make it from? Why couldn't he make it from the ground? He made the man from the ground. He made the animals from the ground. Now he's going to create another person. Why didn't he make it from the ground? That's what he, that's his pattern. That's what he's been doing. Ah, must be something different about this creation. Must be something different about the relationship between the first creation and this creation. He took a rib from the man. He took part of him. Now, God made the dirt. He, made, he called the earth into being, spoke it into being, took some dirt from that earth and shaped and formed the man and the animals, and now He's taking a part of the man that He has created. Well, why didn't he take part of the man and make the animal? He could have given a little toe. He could have done something. I mean, you know, surely there was some part of the man he could have made animals with, but he didn't. He took a part of the man. The only thing he did, then he made a woman that was compatible and comparable to the man. Why? Because... He's taking her from his flesh and then he is going to make them of one flesh. One flesh in body and then one flesh in spirit. Also, you notice he took the rib. Why? He could have taken anything. Why not that little toe bump? He took a rib. Why? from his side, so they go side by side through life, connected to each other, in union with each other, in fellowship with each other. Also, the ribs really close to the most vital of all the organs. The heart, the lungs, all those things that are the rib cage. It protects all those things. And the man was going to be a protector of his wife. So, he took a part of his flesh, part of his bone, and from that, he made the woman. So there's an interesting spiritual dynamic at work that only exists as far as a type of connection between a man and a woman. He took then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man and, and he made into a woman the crowning achievement on my, in my way of thinking, the crowning glory of his creation. And notice, he brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. That's the marriage. 
that's the wedding. There's one thing that in most of our wedding ceremonies, I think we, we got wrong. Most weddings, I think we get this wrong. Well, you know, usually the when the bride escorted down the aisle, usually her daddy or someone, you know, in the family will bring the bride down. And then we say, who gives this woman to be joined unto the man? And we say he's giving her away. I don't think that's right. That's not biblical, actually. You bring her to the man. You bring her to the man. That's what God did. God brought the woman to the man. And I'm telling you, that's the only way marriage really works. Wait for the woman God brings you. Woman, wait for the man that God brings you to for his purposes, his glory. Not because he's built or got money. And Adam said, now here's the name. Now where did Adam's name come from? Where did Adam's name? He said, Adam. It came from God. When God named him, it was a way of sowing his authority over man. And Adam said, now what does he say? You missed something in the Hebrew. You missed something in the Hebrew. It's usually not translated into the English translation. So let me tell you what it actually says. Okay? Literally, I'm not making this up. When Adam sees the woman that God has brought to him, he wakes up, sees her, and says, best English translation, wow! It's an exclamation. Wow! This is it. What he says. Why? Because he'd been looking at all the animals, didn't find it. Didn't find any of that which was compatible, comparable to the man. So the first words out of his mouth are, wow, this is it. He knows that instantly. This is the one. And what does he say? This is now bone of my bones. Well, why do you say that? Feels a little twinge there. <laughs> you know? He really, because he took him out of Adam from his rib. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called what? My partner for life. Cohabitator. No. Woman. Because she was taken out of man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Therefore, you always look for that therefore statement. So this is the practical application of what he's just told us. A man shall leave his father and mother. Now, where's their father and mother up to that point? Nope, so he's speaking a word of prophecy. This is what's going to happen as a result of Adam and Eve coming together. He's saying this is how it's going to happen from now on. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's the leaving. 
There's a joining. I like the old King James word better. There's a leaving and a cleaving. In order for marriage to work, man and the woman have to leave mama and daddy. you got to leave mother and father. Now, that's not just talking about geography or whatever. And you're always to honor mom and dad all the days of your life. You will always honor them. You'll always respect them. You'll always make sure they're taken care of. Always. That's your responsibility. So what does it mean to leave mother and father? It means they are no longer your primary allegiance. They're no longer your primary authority. From now on, your primary allegiance, your primary connection, is your husband or your wife. Your responsibility, above all, is to husband and wife. I can't tell you the amount of couples I've counseled over the years that one or the other of them never left home. They might have moved out to another place, but emotionally they're always connected, and they always, they always went to daddy or mama for advice. You know, they would, they would hear what their husband or wife said, but, you know, let's go see what mom and daddy said. And they kind of lived to try to please mom and dad. If you don't think that always happens, try, <laughs> try walking through the thing of how do you handle holidays. Where are we going to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving? And that, hey, you think you don't have any issues with that? Yeah, walk through that one a little while. Okay? Yeah, most of the time, as we have children and as they grow up, they reach a place where they say, hey, we always enjoy going to grandma's and granddad's, but we kind of want to stay at our house now. Our home. There's something instinctual about that. It'll be at our house. Well, you know, if we don't show up, your mama's going to go, nah, 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 nah. All right? So your primary loyalty and allegiance is to your husband and wife. Never, ever, 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 un ever under any circumstances allow your parents to talk ill about your wife or your husband. Don't do it. Don't put up with it. Just say, I love you, I appreciate it, but I, I, please don't ever talk about them like this to me again. Just don't do it. And you don't put up with that from anybody else either. You don't put up with your parents either. You defend them above all others. Your loyalty, your allegiance, your protection is to them. You got to leave father and mother and to be joined or to cleave to your wife. Somebody saying that's all da 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 stuck like glue. Okay. <laughs> Best illustration I give you, you take two pieces of paper, you glue the whole sheet of paper, stick them together, let them dry, then try to pull them apart. Can you? Well, not bad. you're usually going to end up tearing something in the process of trying to because they are stuck like glue. They are together. As husband and wife, that's what you are. In other words, you are joined. You are together. You made this commitment to one another, and nothing's supposed to separate you. You and me, babe. You know? Somehow I got all these songs going through my head. <laughs> you know? 
I got, I got you, babe. You know, that's, that's, that's me and you. It's just, you're, you're stuck. You cleave. You hold fast to one another. You don't let each other go. You don't let each other drop. You care for each other. You're focused on each other. There are many things that can happen in life that this is never going to happen. Nothing is ever going to separate me from Robin. Because if she leaves, she's going to have to take me with her. <laughs> I, that's, that's just not going to... No, 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 no. And, and I think she feels the same way. I know she does because I put her to the test enough to know that she can handle and is going to stay pretty much through anything. All right? So cleave to your wife and they shall become. It doesn't happen just when you say I do. They shall become one flesh. The woman was taken from his flesh physically, and they shall become. The only way that's going to happen through the working of the Holy Spirit of God makes them one flesh. You're no longer two separate individuals. The only way marriage works, folks, is every time you have a wedding, at the same time you've got to have a funeral. If you don't have the funeral, you'll never have the marriage. You might have a wedding, but not a marriage. When you stand before whoever you stand before, and you say, you, husband, you say, I do, and the wife says, you'd better. <laughs> when, when that happens... You have to die to you. Because you no longer live for you anymore. You don't. Guys, you don't live for you anymore. It's not about what you want anymore. It's not about what's convenient for you anymore. It's not how, about how you feel about what you should be or do. It's all about her. I live for her. I live for her. And guess what? She dies. And she lives for me. And if both of you don't die, you're headed for trouble. Now, come to think about it, that sounds a lot like what it means to get saved. Hmm. In just the previous chapter, chapter 9 here in Mark's Gospel, he's just told them, if you want to follow me, if you want to be joined to me, you want to come after me, you must, number one, deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. you got to die in order to be born again. If you don't die, you're not born again. You're just trying to add Jesus to who you are. Who you are has got to die. So that that which remains is Him. Works the same way with marriage, folks. There's a reason Jesus often makes the comparison. Paul makes the comparison between marriage and the husband-wife relationship and his relationship to his bride, the church, those who belong to him. Marriage is the greatest illustration 
of the relationship between us and Christ that exists. Same principles apply. You got to die. And if you don't, and, you, and it's about you instead of them, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to argue. You're going to be frustrated. It's just not going to happen. The only way a marriage works is if the I's and the me's and the my's die. And the only thing that remains is us and we and our. There's a word that I use, I know it's not proper English, but it is really good theology. There's an usness that has to be in a marriage relationship. There will never be a time from the time you make this commitment and according to Malachi chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 17, you enter into a covenant of marriage, a covenant not just based on a marriage license, but a covenant commitment between you and God. From the moment you enter into that covenant, there will never be a time that you are to think about what's best for me. Or what do I want? Never another day when you'll think like that. From that day forward, it is what's best for us. What do we want? How does what I think, feel, or do impact her or him? That's You have to completely reorient your thinking. You've got to, like in the Christian life, you've got to renew your mind about Christ and sin and everything else. In marriage, you've got to renew your mind. You've got to change the way that you think about you, about y'all, <laughs> and about life together. Now, how do you renew the mind in the Christian life? Through the Word of God. You fill your mind with the Word. How do you renew your mind about your marriage? Exact same way. you got to see what does the Word of God say. Because the only thing that matters is not what I think marriage should be, what God thinks it should be. Now, here's a problem with that. Most people think marriage is supposed to be what they saw in their parents and their marriage. It's the greatest example you've had. You live with them. And so you grow up kind of thinking that a man is supposed to be like this. And a husband is supposed to act like that. And this is how they treat each other. This is how a woman is what she's supposed to be. This is how she's supposed to act in her marriage. And so you grow up thinking, so that's what I need to do. And you have expectations. If you're a young lady, you've been watching your daddy all your life, and daddy always comes home and he does this, and he says he gives mom a kiss, and he does whatever, and this is how mama does. And so now you're married to your husband. But the problem is, he's not your daddy. He's him. 
And so you're expecting this is how he's going to treat you. Because that's how daddy treated mama. Daddy's the greatest guy in the world. No. So you see how he does. You expect your husband's going to do the same thing. And guess what? He doesn't do it. He doesn't do what you saw daddy do. He didn't talk to her the way daddy talked. He didn't do the same thing. And, and, and so you're thinking, he don't love me like he's supposed to or like he says he does because if he did, he'd do this because that's what husbands do because that's what daddies did. But on the flip side of things, husbands, you get married, you got that beautiful wife, you love her, she's going to be just like mama. I don't understand why she don't pick up my dirty underwear. Mama always did. Hey, wait a minute. Mom cooked three meals a day. She says, I got to pick up something at Burger King or Wendy's and bring it home. Well, what's this about? I mean, you know, she don't bake the cakes I like like Mama did. When she tries, not quite like Mama's. Guys, I'm going to give you a great piece of advice. If that happens to you, don't you open your mouth and say anything. Don't you ever utter the words. Well, that's not like Mama did it. <laughs> you'll be sleeping outside. I don't even know if you'll get the sofa. All right? <laughs> Just don't do that. But we have these expectations based on what we've seen. And then when things don't happen that way, we interpret them as they don't love me like they should or some, they're doing something wrong. Then the issue is we have all this resentment and stuff build up, but we never actually tell them what we're kind of concerned or upset about. Because after all, if they loved us, they should know. Right? If I got to tell you, it's not worth me saying, right? Boy, is that a mistake. Okay. So, to become one flesh takes a few things to happen. They will become one flesh. How do you become one flesh when you're used to living for you? How do you do that? How does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Stay with me over the next few weeks. Okay, stay with me over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the roles and responsibilities biblically of a wife. We're going to talk about the roles and responsibilities of a husband and what he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. We're going to talk about how, how to become the world's greatest lover. We're going to talk about how do you handle when problems come up, and they always do because we are still living in a fallen world and we're still in these fleshly bodies. When problems come up in the marriage, how do you handle them? What do you do when the problems come? So that the problems, rather than driving you away from each other, will actually bring you closer to one another. How do you do that? Um, we're going to be dealing with all those issues and a few others from the Word of God, okay? From, from the Word of God.
So you want to make sure that you're here. Let me give you the bottom line first. You can only experience marriage the way God intended it. And He intends for you to have the greatest, fullest, most joyful, fulfilling marriage you can possibly imagine. He really does. He designed marriage to bring Him honor and glory, to put Him on display, and to bring you great joy. He did. That's how He designed it. And that's what He wants. But in order for that to happen, it has to start not with your relationship to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's got to start with your relationship to Him. You've got to become what He would have you to be. You've got to know real life because right now you're dead. If you don't know Him as your Savior and Lord, you're dead. I want you to know if you're lost, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you will never be the husband or wife. You will never be the husband and wife that God desires you to be. It's impossible. Because I know you're going to argue with me about this, but it's the Word of God. You will never, ever be able to understand love in all of its fullness until you experience His love and He places His love within you. Every other type of love, apart from love that comes from God, is a cheap counterfeit that never measures up. No matter how hard you try. You just can't do it. That's why you have to start with making sure you're in right relationship with God. You've been born again. He's given you a new life. And that's why the young folks, whenever you're dating, you got to look for someone. Number one, you got to be a Christian. You have to look for someone that's just like you. Another Christian. Yeah, look for that. We'll look in the Word a little bit and see why. Because the only way you will ever become one flesh is to become one in Christ. Become one with Him. If you don't do that, you'll never be able to come become one with another human being. You can become sexual with each other. You can be passionate about each other. You can care about each other. But you'll never, ever experience oneness, completeness, apart from two Christians being together. So that's the biggest issue you've got to take care of. I want you to understand, you cannot be the husband God designed and called you to be apart from His Spirit living in you, guiding you, equipping you. I'll show you that from the Word tonight. You cannot be the wife. You can't be the wife that God has called you to be and designed you to be apart from the Holy Spirit living within you, equipping you, empowering you, enabling you to do it. You just can't do it. And the harder you try to do it apart from that, you will end up frustrated, and exhausted because you're always going to be looking for something you know you need and 
never experience it. Never experience it. You'll be looking to your spouse to meet the needs within you that only God can meet in and through them. Okay. I want you to know that other person, there's some needs you have in life that they will never be able to meet. Only God can meet. And even the one the, the, the things God placed within you that He designed them to do, they're not going to be able to do apart from Him. So a home and a family and a marriage starts with God. God. If that's where you are, there's a lot of hope for you. It can become what He designed it to be. I want you to know that. It can become and you can't experience it. But that's not where you are. Rather than focusing on the problems of the marriage, focus on the promised kingdom of the Lord. Get that right. Then he'll help you fix the other one. I want you to know, your marriage can be a little bit of heaven on earth. It really can. Your marriage can be a little heaven on earth. That's the way God designed it. So if you don't do it His way, you'll be in a living hell. I promise you that. Okay? Father, we have looked into Your Word. we come to see what You have to say. As we continue our journey together, help us to be able to come to understand You and Your truth and know how to apply it to our lives. Because we are, even those of us that are saved, we're still living in a fallen world. We're still living in a fleshly body. We need Your help and Your insight. We need Your knowledge, Your truth, Your wisdom to make our homes the homes that glorify You and bring great joy to us. Help us. Teach us. Guide us. Change us as we walk together through your word. This we pray in your name.